Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm so excited for some things that are heating up um, with the summer. Uh, If you are listening to this um, in the future, know that um, I am recording on the 26th of May. It's a beautiful day here in Minneapolis, and I have been really enjoying noticing the slight changes in season and the brilliant blooming of the just all of the plants around me. This is actually the first year that I have been able to plant a garden. And that feels amazing. So I definitely have planted some witching herbs, but I've also planted a ton of vegetables. So I'm hoping that those will bear fruit um, later this summer. But it's been really beautiful to just slow down and get to know the plants kind of at their own pace. I'm also doing a ton of container gardening on the balcony here. So I get to, you know, check out the plants every single day. And that reminds me so much of the conversation that you're about to listen to with Sarah Axtell. Um, So in this conversation, we are talking about the Primstav, which is a Nordic um, folk calendar. Um, And it might feel a little contemporary or, um, you know, a lot of people when they think of the Nordic path and heathenry, they tend to think of very old stuff, you know, Viking age and earlier. And I think a huge goal of this podcast is to bring, you know, things from the deep past into the present, update them, modernize them. We're all modern heathens, right? We have to approach the world from our own contemporary understandings. And the Primstav is one of those tools that really helps to bridge that gap. Um, It was utilized to keep track of saints' days after, you know, Christian conversion. We'll talk a lot about that. Um, But wrapped up in the Primstav is a lot of knowledge and information about um, different planting seasons or uh, what the folk traditions of particularly Norwegian people are. And so it's a really beautiful way of getting to know our, you know, uh, ancestors and our ancestry. And I think about that so much as I am tending to my own plants, tending to my own garden. Um, now is a very active season, right? So if the uh, Nordic peoples thought of things basically as having a summer and a winter, we are very much in the middle of summer. Um, so very active planting, um, working the land, um, a lot of energy. So this is a time when you might want to say a prayer to Suna, the solar goddess, um, or to uh, the day, you know, just singing the praises of the day. Um, And now might be a time when you want to do some, you know, specific um, workings that have to do with summer, gathering, abundance, um, and generational healing. All of these things are kind of wrapped up into the season that we have now. I'm looking forward to midsummer this year uh, for a lot of reasons. And I think that a huge part of that is because I have a new appreciation for the light side of the year. I am very much a fall and winter baby. I am a goth who just wants to wear their cardigans and (laughs) sit around in the cold and maybe, you know, um, go outside and go snowshoeing, right? Um, But I have really grown to love the summer um, in part because of, you know, my new relationship with plants magic and working with plants. Considering that this is the very busy part of the summer, right? Um, I actually have a bunch of classes that I'm really excited about. So I um, am teaching with Cassandra Snow um, 
creating in weird times. This is an eight-week workshop utilizing the tarot to inspire creativity. It starts in June, so you just have like a pretty quick turnaround in terms of registration. Um, register by midnight on June first. So the workshop actually entails getting a weekly email with uh, readings from us. Um, and these will, you know, support your creative process. We'll have a lot of prompts, reflections on creating, reflections on creating as self-care. We will have four live sessions, which will include a lot of tarot ritual, um, you know, creativity. We'll do a lot of exercises to um, kind of inspire you. Um, and those four will be utilizing the different energies of the minor arcana, which I'm really excited about because the minor arcana basically follow the um, four elements, um, fire, air, water, and earth. So please join us for that. It'll be a great time. There's a link in the show notes. I'm also happy to announce that I'm bringing back my Radical Runes class. Um, so that is a kind of queering the runes, you know, looking at the runes from a non-standard um, lens. You know, we're looking at the runes as modern heathens, as queer heathens, as feminists, as anti-racists. And so they are um, kind of unfolding in new ways. So I have a workbook that goes along with that class um, that has been expanded since last fall when I taught it for the first time. And the class is being hosted by Catland Books. So Catland Books is located in Brooklyn. They are fantastic. I love them so much. And I'm hoping that in working and partnering with them, even more people will come to a radical understanding of themselves and the runes. So again, all of these links will be in the show notes. Um, and now I would like to introduce my guest for the day. So Sarah Axtell teaches with the Healing Roots Learning Community and at the University of Minnesota. She focuses on reconnecting with ancestral culture as part of a process of dismantling whiteness and developing a healthy sense of cultural identity, particularly for people of European heritage. Sarah Axtell's work is absolutely incredible and has been an inspiration of mine, so I'm so thrilled to have her on the podcast. Needfire Wellness and Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all of your folk magic needs. They are committed to offering high-quality supplies, information, and learning experiences for magic practitioners. The Needfire team believes that magic practice is an internally enriching and transformative endeavor that can look very different dependent on the practitioner. They make every effort to offer a range of knowledge and products for the practical witch, magician, or otherwise. In addition to their domestic workshops, Needfire has collaborated with Johannes Gordbeck, author of Trolldom, Spells and Methods of the Norse Folk Magic Tradition, to offer immersive travel experiences and magic workshops in Sweden starting in autumn 2021. This is a fantastic shop, and I am so glad to collaborate with them. You can use offer code HEATHENJOURNEYPODDEN to get 10% off in their online apothecary. Get yourself a blend of Swedish incense, a new tarot deck, a hagstone, some herbs, and so much more. Head on over to needfirewellness.com to uh, get your supplies today. And as always, make good magic. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you, Siri. I'm delighted to be here. So you are um, a fantastic, uh, is it okay to call you an elder? It, it is okay to call me that. Thank you. I, I, I am always honored when people use that term. Okay, great. Yeah, you're a fantastic um, 
beloved elder in the Minnesota heathen community. And it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Mm, Thank you so much. So um, before we get really into stuff, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe kind of like how you have become situated as a heathen today and like what that looks like for you? Yes. Um, Well, um, uh, I always start with just the, the basic intro. So my name is Sarah Extel. Uh, I use uh, she, her pronouns, and I, I live on uh, Dakota Treaty land um, in St. Paul uh, with my two fabulous adult children coming in and out of my uh, family home um, as they need to. Um, Oh, I'm a member of Goldegg's Hearth Kindred, and I teach and learn uh, in the Healing Roots Learning Community. And uh, I really came to heathenry maybe 20 some odd years ago because... um, I was looking for a tradition that would be grounded in my own culture and uh, would help me connect with uh, my ancestors, would provide me with the kind of rootedness that I need to do uh, the community work that I was feeling called to do. So. Uh, work around uh, trying to dismantle whiteness and uh, shifting some of those uh, patterns of whiteness. Um, And that's hard work, um, as everyone knows. And um, in order to do that, I felt like I needed to be as grounded as possible. And what I learned from my own elders and from many wonderful elders and teachers in other cultural communities was that I had to look in my, in my own roots in order to find um, the teachings that I needed in my life. And so that's really what brought me to heathenry. Yeah. So you mentioned the healing roots learning community. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes. So Um, Healing Roots is a learning community uh, that welcomes everyone. Um, We're primarily focused on uh, questions about what does it mean for people of European heritage in the U.S. to have a healthy sense of cultural identity. So way back in the mid-90s, we were working... um, Uh, in an organization called the Cultural Wellness Center, which is located in South Minneapolis, still a thriving um, organization, uh, knowledge production um, and community engagement organization that's rooted in uh, African knowledge systems. Uh, At the time, there were people from many different cultural communities who were all working together at the Cultural Wellness Center And we'd have these really powerful discussions about culture and health and community well-being. And we quickly realized, my my own elder, Janice Barbie, uh, quickly uh, realized that for people of European heritage, uh, particularly those of us who are racialized as white, um, we are not... Uh, we have a lot of trouble answering questions about our own cultural identity and cultural heritage. So we would be in meetings where people from other cultural communities were sharing about their cultural teachings, about uh, what uh, healing practices they were bringing from their culture in order to support community health and well-being. And many of us just didn't have answers to those questions. And so we realized that we needed to come together to do our own work. 
to uh, understand more about the different layers of our identity and what work we need to do in order to uh, have a healthy sense of cultural identity and be able to contribute to uh, uh, community healing and to equity and to dismantling uh, systems of race. Um, and so at that time, we started a learning community that met once a month. And we've continued that work ever since. And that learning community continues to meet monthly, at least, sometimes more than monthly, um, where we come together and surface knowledge together about uh, what it means to be of European heritage, what we need to do in order to uh, heal our or log, heal those unhealthy racialized patterns that we are uh, often um, ensnared in. Um, yeah, does that does that answer? Gives yes, you a little absolutely. Bit of a flavor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I know that like. Um, so I actually had, you know, initially invited you on the podcast and we will talk about the prim stav in just a little bit, but I think it's nice to like kind of root ourselves and know, like, if you're listening, like, who am I listening to? What's going on? Um, but another way that you and I are connected is through, um, like heathen, uh, prison in reach. Oh, yes. Thank yes. you for mentioning that. Um, Yes, so uh, I've been doing a prison in reach, heathen prison in reach, for maybe 15 or 17 years now. And uh, Gove Karth's uh, kindred um, holds a lot of that work in Minnesota right now. And we're really trying to expand our volunteer base. So we would love to hear from others um, who are interested in that work. Um, and it's really... Um, for me, it's been a really beautiful journey with that work. And um, I have learned so much, partly because I think for me, the best way to learn is to try to support other people's learning. Um, so learning through teaching, if you will. Uh, and it's a really um, important place for us to uh, step into and hold up ways to uh, be heathen and connect with our ancestors in ways that are healthy, in ways that promote weal and well-being for the whole community. Um, prisons are, uh, in my experience, um, places um, where white nationalist groups um, will sometimes uh, try to uh, recruit. Um, uh, and so uh, it's important to have a presence that holds out a way to um, connect with the heathenry that is uh, cultural and community oriented and not um, racialized. Yeah, I sometimes refer to it as the um, prison to white supremacy mm. pipeline. Um, and I know that historically, the way that a lot of these white supremacist groups have gained access is through, um, you know, being a religion, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. So uh, it's important to um, provide a, a non white nationalist, um, heathen specifically, um, you know, way of connection and gathering. And I know that prisons are also just like a, a, a moment and a source of such intense trauma for everyone yes. in the system that, yeah. you know, spirituality and healing are really important to do there. I really agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and um, the groups that I work with, um, we have really wonderful, very meaningful discussions and people come um, eager to learn and interested in sharing what they know with others. 
And it's, yeah, it's a really powerful experience. And I've learned a lot about the uh, prison industrial complex and how it operates through that work too, which is really important to understanding mass incarceration in our country. Yeah, it's huge and such important work. Um, We will probably have a, a more lengthy discussion about that in a future episode, perhaps. Good, I um, hope so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that there are some things that are cooking behind the scenes in terms of um, volunteering and uh, heathen prison in reach and stuff um, here in Minnesota. Um, so we'll have more to say later, basically. Is what Wonderful. I'm saying. Definitely. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about your work in this area, where should they go? What should they do? Yes, I would encourage people to look for Golveg's Hearth on Facebook and message us there. Um, if you are interested in prison in reach in Minnesota, um, we're having a volunteer and prospective volunteer meetings about once a month right now. We'd love to have you join us. If you're listening from outside of Minnesota, I really encourage you to connect with the Troth and their prison inreach program, which really uh, serves and provides resources uh, for folks all across the US. Yeah, wonderful. Um, All right, so so thank you so much um, for sharing all of that and you'll definitely be hearing more from us later. Um, And now let's talk about the Primstav. So um, that's actually the context in which I met you. So I was at the Nordic Mm. Women's Retreat um, back when I was still identifying as a woman. I I attended Mm. that and you did a, you held a workshop um, on the Primstav. Um, So this is, I think, an aspect of uh, Nordic culture that perhaps a lot of people have not heard of here in the U.S. Um, So what is the Primstav? Yeah, so the Primstav is um, an old system of marking time um, used in uh, Scandinavia. Uh, Particularly the Primstav was used in Norway. So um, it conceptualizes the year as having two parts, a summer and a winter. And so it looks in some ways like a lefse-turner or a yardstick um, with different symbols marked along it. And one side is the summer side, one side is the winter side. Um, Originally, they uh, came into use after the conversion to Christianity because uh, people needed to know when it was the saint day so that they could go to church and they wouldn't have to pay a fine for not coming to church on the saint's day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so each of the symbols on the Primstav marks a particular saint's day. But the fascinating thing about it, and I think it really teaches us a lot about how Orlog works is the symbols that were originally intended to mark the saints' days began to take on other layers of deeper meaning. So they began to take on meanings about people's relationship to the land at certain points in the season. And so uh, in the work that we are doing, It's a lot about trying to um, understand all of those layers of the Orlog that are embodied in the Primstav. And uh, what that understanding of the Orlog can teach us about our own relationship with the land, our own relationship with time. Um, and I think also teach us, as I said, a little more about how Orlog unfolds in our lives and, and how we can uh, reckon with some pretty big questions 
um, uh, that we have in our own lives and our families' lives and our communities' lives. Yeah, it's um, fascinating. I'm actually bringing up, I'm actually pulling up the Prinstav explanations uh, document that we have um, to see what's coming up. Um, oh, the first day of summer is on mm-hmm. April 14th. So That's that is right. when we turn the Primstav physically over and mm-hmm. it is now the summer side of the year. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, so that's coming up. We have Gaukdagen coming up, which is Cuckoo Day on May 1st. A little later in May, we'll have Bear Wake Day. Mm-hmm. Uh in the middle or the, towards the end of June, we'll have Jan Sock, St. John's Day. And a lot of our uh, customs and traditions related to midsummer have kind of become anchored uh, to Jan Sock. So it's a, it's a way to learn about uh, what was happening on the farm at those particular points in time. For example, on um, April 16th, a couple of days after we turned the Primstav over, it was a day when um, offerings were made to the land. So you would offer um, egg and grat or milk porridge and juniper in your field um, as a way to, you know, give offering to the land and to uh, the lawn vatir who... Uh, we're helping things grow on your farm. Um, and so we can learn about um, what, what was the work on the farm that people were doing at particular points, what was unfolding on the land at those points, and what did that mean for what our ancestors needed to be doing to be in a good relationship with the land, a gift for a gift at that point in the season. Um, so that's a lot of the study that we do in the Primstav study group. Yeah, um, the Primstav study group is a Facebook group that um, you facilitate and mm-hmm. lead and will meet up um, You know, once a month-ish to kind of discuss stuff. But one of the things that I really love about the Primstav study group is that um, it's kind of anchored in our um, understanding of ourselves as settler colonizers, settler colonizers. Yeah. Um, So we also talk a lot about the roots of like, why did our Scandinavian ancestors come over and kind of the, the Primstav teaches us what was happening on the land in Scandinavia, which is different from what's happening on the land in Minnesota, or if you're in the United States. So Mm -hmm. how do you kind of bring these things together? How do you sort of look at this old knowledge, old European knowledge, and then also, you know, kind of root down into the land where you currently are? Yeah, that's such a a wonderful question. And I think, um, it holds at least a lifetime, if not uh, generations of work, right? To try to answer that question together. Um, So the Primstav holds knowledge about our relationship to land and our relationship to time. And it shows us that um, our relationships to land and to time are different now than they were for our ancestors. And part of what we try to do in the Primstav study group is to understand what's the orlog of those changes? So what is the orlog of our relationship to land? So we know that there, uh, since um, the time when our ancestors were using the primstav in a in a more uh, in a in a more daily way, um, there have been uh, incredible changes in how we relate to land, and 
um, one thing that that I've learned in my um, heathen study over the past few decades is that um, the more I'm able to articulate a pattern, the more I'm able to understand how a pattern developed over time, what conditions and events uh, engendered the pattern, um, the less hold that that pattern has over me. So when I am unconscious of a pattern, um, but I'm acting it out, it, it has a really big hold on me oftentimes. And this is true with family patterns, with cultural patterns, with personal patterns. But when I can name a pattern, when I can understand its shape and its texture and where it's rooted, then that hold begins to loosen. And so part of our work in the Primstav group uh, is about just that process as it relates to um, our settler colonial patterns around land. Um, and so that's really one layer of doing that work in the Primstav group um, is trying to understand things like how did the demise of um, the Othal land system in Scandinavia change our relationship to land? How did enclosure uh, further south on the European continent, how did that change our relationship to land? You know, these, these events and conditions that really acted to um, create the unhealthy uh, sort of commodified uh, relationship to land that I think we're suffering from now. So that I think is a piece of that work. Um, uh, another piece, as you said, is that we, um, so as I said, I'm, I'm here, I'm living on Dakota Treaty land, and there are a number of ways that I need to grapple with that and reckon with that as a, as a settler descended person. And one thing we do in uh, the Primstav group is also um, look at the, the moon cycle. And we try to understand um, the lunar solar reckoning of time that our ancestors kept and how they named the moons, um, what significance the different moons had to them. And we also look at the moons, the moon names from the land where we are living. So we look a lot at um, different Dakota uh, names for moons and what that can teach us about um, people's relationship with the land here. Um, so, which helps us learn about food systems and medicines um, that sometimes are very similar to what our ancestors encountered on the Scandinavian peninsula, like uh, nettle, for example, which is used as a, as a medicine in a lot of different places. So I know here I have heard um, indigenous teachers talk about nettle and I'm able to learn about uh, lore related to nettle that my ancestors were more familiar with. So some of the work is about those um, uh, connecting points and also learning from teachers at places like Dream of Wild Health or or other indigenous teachers who are willing to share that knowledge. And I, for me, all of those kinds of learning are part of this, uh, what I've heard called unsettling process or uncolonizing process, where we're trying to understand um, the settler colonial way of thinking and acting that we've inherited that is in you know, the past several hundred years layers of our Orlog, trying to um, unlearn those patterns of thought and action and then learn other ways of being. And some of that learning um, of other ways of being, we can learn from our own cultural teachings and ancestral practices. And because we are in this place, there are some things that we can learn um, that we need to learn from indigenous teachers 
um, about what it means to live in this place in a healthy way. And I think all of those kinds of learning help us to get ready for um, the real concrete work of supporting uh, uh, sovereign nations um, in uh, their movements for land back and other uh, decolonization movements, movements against line three, you know, that, that real um, on the ground um, sort of work. And so we've got kind of our own learning um, and grappling that we need to do. And then that can help us uh, uh, do better uh, work in solidarity with uh, activist teachers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really resonant because it's finding a groundedness and a rootedness um, both in where we are and also in where we came from. Like a lot of other people in, you know, Norse backgrounds or in, you know, heathen spaces, um, there's a sense of unrootedness that I hear from people until you find your, you know, like until you find a culture to really like root into and hang on yeah. to. It's an understanding of how disruptive um, the process of settler, settler colonialism mm -hmm. is. Um, and so displacing whiteness within ourselves and then relearning folk cultures yeah. because whiteness tries to just make us all one, you know, like white people against all those weird brown people, right? <laughs> like that's a, mm -hmm. that's a whiteness thing. And so doing the anti-white supremacist work also means, okay, well, I don't want to leave a void where, yeah. because then whiteness will fill the crack. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's a really important way of thinking about it. Um, something we hear a lot about um, in our work uh, in Healing Roots is this sense of a void that uh, people of European heritage and most particularly people who are racialized as white um, experience and articulate. Um, and I think um, it, what you're saying really resonates for me. Um, at its core, well, whiteness is, is about brutality and coalescing wealth for a very small group of people and all of those really important layers of Orlog to understand. But it's also at its core about cultural loss. And uh, at every turn, whiteness focuses on pro propelling cultural loss. And uh, if you read books like, you know, How the Irish Became White, uh, it talks about how really becoming white for people who uh, set, were settlers coming from Europe um, uh, one piece was um, assimilation, was culture and language loss. And the other piece was identifying with the economic elite, even though you weren't part of the economic elite, um, identifying and seeing your self-interest uh, tied up in the interests of the elite. Those are sort of two parts of this process historically of becoming white, quote unquote. Um, and so I think that um, part of dismantling whiteness then uh, in my uh, mind and, and in a lot of the work that, that I do with others is about um, Reweaving, reintegrating that that sense of culture. That's not the the whole of dismantling whiteness. There's so many different kinds of work that we have to do, um, and and I think Heathenry gives some really important tools for that because it helps us the idea of Orlog understand um, collective accountability. Really, Orlog is so much about collective accountability. And so um, I think we can 
use those teachings about Orlog as a foundation for stepping into that accountability for whiteness and the brutality that it's wrought and continues to bring um, to our communities. And so, yeah, I, I don't remember what the original question was, but uh, I really, <laughs> That's okay. what we're talking about really resonates and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's just so important to recognize that um, before we even talk about the prim stuff, what it is and how we're like, you know, working with it, it's it's um, important to recognize that this is sort of a reclamation of old ways, um, as well as a way of kind of thinking about our relationship to land and thinking about our relationship to time. Um, as well as our ancestors. There's the the way that you have woven the Primstov study group. Like we started talking about a leftist stick basically, and now we're talking about whiteness. Right, <laughs> right. You know, but it's important. And um, yeah. I think that that's really what draws me to continue to study and continue to work with the Primstov. It's just because I know so many people who are doing incredible work around unsettling and around using this tool specifically to unsettle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that so interesting too, because we talk about it as the prim stuff comes to us as our ancestors being like, wow, there are a lot of saint days and right. <laughs> we have to keep track of them all now. Um, which is, you know, in a, in a greater sense, like a lot of the, the neo-pagan community talks about, um, you know, the, the brutality of conversion and, um, to yeah. Christianity and stuff like that. And, so it's also kind of like healing that orlog of that point of mm-hmm. transition. It is. And um, there are a lot of feelings and reactions that come up in working with those particular layers of orlog that uh, have really um, bubbled to the surface in the Primstov group. So, um, you know, how we... Uh, how we grapple with questions about conversion and hold the both ends of those questions. You, you know, the brutalities that underlie those questions. Um, and also, uh, I try to hold that my uh, grandmother, um, Caroline, um, her Lutheran church was really important to her. And I want to honor her and I have to honor the meaning that it had for her. And so how do we weave all of those threads together, you know, is part of what we look at um, in the Primstav study. So there are all the pieces around land, but then there are the pieces around how we relate to that uh, religion that in many ways, you know, overtook some of the traditional knowledge of our ancestors, but it also incorporated and retained much of that knowledge. And if we sort of tease those threads apart, we can learn so much. And so uh, it's really, there. there's just so much there to study and to learn as we, as we look at the Primstav. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So um, I haven't done a full episode on this yet. I will probably, but um, within folkloric witchcraft, it's really useful and a, a tool that people will use um, to study the the folklore and the witchcraft of, you know, ages past was dual faithism, right? Mm-hmm. So like the folk healer in the community would use both Christian and non-Christian deities in spell work at the same time because they wanted it to be effective. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we're seeing with the Prim stuff too is this underlying layer of dual faithism um, that is really fascinating. So like one of the the masses coming up, um, the mass of the cuckoo, um, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, like there are some symbols that really clearly are kind of coming from a a pre-Christian, you know, perspective as people are trying to remember, oh, what am I supposed to do on this day? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's actually one of my 
um, favorite days, partly because uh, living in the Twin Cities, the date of it, May 1st, corresponds to the May Day Parade, yes! uh, which is just such a significant and beautiful and wonderful uh, community ritual. Um, Powderhorn uh, Pride. Yes. Powderhorn Pride. I am recording <laughs> from Powderhorn right now. So yes. Wonderful. Yes. Um, and so um, uh, it also, for me, just brings up memories of uh, delivering May baskets um, as a child and helping my own children deliver May baskets. So there are just all these layers upon layers. So um, the lore about Gaukdagen, so or Cuckoo Day, um, first of all, the symbol on the primstab that marks this day uh, a lot of uh, these symbols are pictorial, so um, there are some forms of the of the clog calendar, these uh, kind of stick calendars, if you will, that use runes, but the primstab uses these kinds of pictorial symbols. And so um, on Gaukdag, and the symbol that marks it almost looks like uh, a bird sitting at the very top of a tree because it is the day that you begin to hear uh, the cuckoo in the spring. Um, and there are all, there's all this lore about reading the signs about the cuckoo. So the first time in the spring that you hear the cuckoo, if you hear it coming from the north, it's a sign that there may be illness in your home in the coming year. If you hear it from the south, it's going to be a favorable year. From the west, it'll be a successful year for you and your farm. And from the east, it means that you'll be lucky in love that year. And so you see this kind of um, nature-rooted uh, divination woven all through the Primstav days. There are all of these signs that we can interpret that the Primstav lore teaches us. So um, you, um, it gives us practices like um, if you see a tree that has a gauk in it, a cuckoo in it, you run around the tree uh, three times. You, um, you do a procession to bless um, the fields. Um, uh, there are rhymes and uh, spells that we learn um, about um, when a gauk is crowing in the north, um, uh, what will happen. Or um, if, a, if a gauk, you hear it from um, the west, then your butter will be the best of, any, of anyone. There's a lot of butter-related folklore in uh, Scandinavian <laughs> lore. It's very important. And I feel that in my own diet, how, how important butter is. Um, so those are a few of the things um, that a, a little bit of the lore of Gelfdagen of that cuckoo day, cuckoo mass. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's such an interesting like way of preserving too. Mm -hmm. Um. So the other thing that um, I know that there are some other symbols in here as well that are a little bit more like on a traditional primstav, they're a little bit more. Um, oh, I'm looking at like St. Botolf, Botolf's, Botolf's Day, June 17th. Yeah. Like that I mean, symbol have... is a little, that symbol is a little bit more, um, at least in what I have, that symbol is a little bit more abstract. Mm. Um yeah. And some of them are very literal, like St. Cinnabas mm -hmm. Day is a scythe. Right, right. And yeah, so the, um, the form of the pictorial symbols themselves um, are kind of on a range, as you said. Sometimes like on Gaukdagen, you see the tree with the cuckoo, but other days are, it's much more difficult to interpret the shape of the symbol. Um, but uh, luckily we have some wonderful scholars and teachers who have preserved the lore and we can go back 
um, and and read and study the lore. One in particular, Kathleen Stoker, um, mm -hmm. who has written a great book called Marking Time, uh, which is very accessible um, and meant for popular audiences about the Prim stuff. But I love actually uh, the June 17th St. Boltoff's Day that you mentioned because um, it has holds some real knowledge about the rhythm of community life. So it was a time of the spring when local assemblies would meet. So it reminds us about the system of things. So these local and regional assemblies, which were used to uh, uh, as, as places to resolve disputes and to make decisions on behalf of the community. So I think that that is another thing we can learn about. It's not only the rhythm that our ancestors had on the farm, but it's the rhythm of the of the whole uh, community um, or district in which they lived. Um, yeah, so I grew up, um, my mom grew up very rural, small town. Like my mom grew up 16 miles outside of a town of 400. Wow. So very rural. Um, and I didn't grow up like that, quite that rural. Um, I grew up in a, a smaller, like a, like a, a, a city, but like a small town slash city. Um, and now my parents are living in the country again. Mm -hmm. Um, cause my mom lived in the city for, you know, however many years and she wanted to live in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so interesting, even, you know, like I live in the Twin Cities, obviously. Um, and it's so interesting to see how people in rural communities still, you know, um, really come together and, you know, are working in that that mm -hmm. way together. Mm -hmm. um, my parents got really lucky and they have a really solid farming community mm. where they're at. Um, and so following the prim stuff is also an interesting, like, oh, well, and this has been preserved. Right. Out of necessity, you know, like, is this mm -hmm. just like a human thing that we do that we, you know, come together around these certain times? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, St. Botolph's Day, I also think about with um, the all things. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. So um, in, uh, you know, it was sort of a sequence of different uh, assembly meetings. And so you would first, as I understand it anyway, you'd first meet uh, in your smaller district and then you would meet, uh, you know, you'd send representatives to, um, well, in Iceland, you know, they called it the all thing uh, meeting. And then again, in the fall, at least the, the cycle in Iceland was you'd have your uh, district meetings in the spring, then you'd have your all thing meeting, and then you'd have uh, smaller district meetings again in the fall to kind of fill everyone in on what had happened at the all thing. Um, and yes, yeah, so it is, I think it teaches us about um, what community practices we need as humans. Uh, and how do we reweave those in our lives, you know, um, with the extreme form of individualism that we're dealing with right now in the U.S., um, many of those practices and structures have broken down. And so how do we revitalize them, you know, I think is something else that a lot of heathens are obviously very interested in. Yeah, I... Um think that to the Primstav, so part of the practice is actually making a Primstav. Yes. And following it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like reweaving in the aspects of your community and culture now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't farm, like I don't live on a um, I don't live in a super rural community, but, you know, um, the, the cuckoo mass is really, um, a huge deal for my community. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, we don't call it the cuckoo mass, we call it the May Day Parade. Right, right. 
Um, so, you know, my personal symbol probably will look a little bit closer to that for Mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also add in and weave in other holidays that are really important to you. So for example, um, so I don't follow the eight, uh, the Sabbaths. I don't follow the eight wheel of of the year. I I think most, uh, many heathens do not, I, I would say. Right. Um, yeah. When I first started learning witchcraft, I, I did because I was I was Wiccan at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the cycle, it was important. Mm-hmm. Um, but Samhain is still really important to me. Mm-hmm. And we actually have another like public art project here in that's the Twin right. Cities, Bare Bones, that's, Bare Bone Puppets. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will probably have something like that on my prem stav yeah. um, to mark how important that is to me. I mean, I, I know um, I'm debating, um, yeah, I'm debating what other kind of holidays to add. Like I might add my wedding anniversary. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, what have what has your kind of like personal prim stuff looked like? Did you start yeah. with just the original symbols? Did you add, um, you know, personal uh, markers as well? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Well, I am really still in that process. So let me say I'm a very slow learner. So I really need to learn things over time, and so. My first layer um, was simply to include the traditional prim stub symbols. And I did that the first year I just studied, uh, studied what the days meant and also studied what's happening on the land where I'm living at that same time. And so I keep what I call a prim stub journal where on one page I have the prim stub days And on the facing page, it's almost like a phonology notebook where I keep notes every year on what's happening um, on the land where I'm living at that time. So I can see some of the differences and similarities. So I just did that the first year. Then the second year now, I'm uh, uh, creating my own prim stuff just with the uh, traditional primstav symbols and marked days. Um, I think one of my next steps will be to do as you've suggested to think about how do I layer onto that these other significant days. So for me, I think that will mean um, uh, marking the primstav with symbols that are really rooted in what's unfolding on the land where I'm living. So we've, we've talked a lot about uh, May Day Gautagen. Um, I have really beautiful memories of my children picking violets in our backyard to put in their May baskets that they would give to the neighbors. And so I will want to have some kind of representation of a violet that is uh, marking that time when the violets uh, come out in our yard. So, you know, that might be something that I include. Um, I also want to try to include um, days and anniversaries that are important to uh, repairing our Orlog. And so, uh, for example, um, uh marking a day like December 26th, which is the anniversary of the execution of the 38 in Mankato, the Dakota warriors who were executed by uh, the state. Um, That to me feels, uh, you know, it feels important to uh, mark as um, a symbol of Um, that brutality that is within our Orlog that we need to be able to be accountable for, that we need to uh, uh, work towards um, the repair and healing, uh, you know, the best that we can. It's, that will be a process that takes generations upon generations, but what are the um, small ways that we can contribute to repair now? Uh, For me, I would like that process 
um, to be represented on my primstav. Um, so that would that would be another example of of the ways that we can mark the primstav not only with the uh, the joys that we have um, in doing this work, but also uh, the very grave um, obligations that we begin to understand as we get deeper and deeper in the work. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, are there any Primstav days as you have been celebrating and learning them that you were surprised with? Like, are there any days that like were resonant to you, but you were like, why am I like really, you know, attached to like St. Agnes or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's a great question. And I would say, um, um, so it's sometimes it's hard to separate my own response from all of the different responses and reactions that come up in our study group. And one day that that was surprising, I think, to all of us was how resonant um, Bear Wake Day was for everyone, May 22nd. And so this is a day that has a lot of lore um, about the bears. So um, it reminds us that that Uh, of the time in the spring when bears leave their dens. It reminds us of how they leave bite marks on the trees near their dens. And many Norwegian farms will incorporate um, these markings and the presence of these markings into the name of the farm. And if you know about Norwegian farm names, you know that then the people who live on that farm, that's a part of their name and identity, right? And so there's all of this, you know, there are uh, uh, songs that I know I, I uh, learned uh, about a song from uh, Kari Toring from some study that she did that's about uh, uh, hunting the bear when it was necessary and all of the lore and ritual and song that was related to that. So it brought up all of that lore, but then we also... Um, noticed the feelings, reactions that it brought up in our body, mind, heart, spirits, you know. Um, And we just all had a really strong reaction that month. Some might have been a negative reaction or, you know, positive emotions, but really strong uh, emotional reactions. And, you know, those emotions and reactions are, are knowledge that we have to try to unravel, try to peel back, follow those threads back and figure out what that's about. Yeah, I definitely do look forward to Bear Wake Day. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels like, I don't know. So I'm changing in my mind. I'm changing from a sort of four seasons model to the Mm -hmm. winter and summer. I think that that's kind of a result of working with the prim stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, for me in my like older thinking of, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall bear wake day really feels like, okay, we've woken the bear of summer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's really summer now. Yes. (laughs) The bears are back. Um, Yes. And uh, yeah, so Bear Wake Day. um, And then a lot of the, uh, a lot of the interesting, you know, um, events around midsummer Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. That's, and we are, again, you know, not not to um, to tout all of the wonderful things that happen in our Twin Cities community too much, but we also have just wonderful ways of marking midsummer um, here in the Twin Cities because, for example, we have the American Swedish Institute that has a really wonderful midsummer celebration and helps us to keep some of those practices alive, which I think is wonderful and beautiful and um yeah 
Yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of Twin Cities pride on the on the podcast in a lot of ways. Yes, like, yes, I think that um, you know our Nordic community, whether it's you know heathen or uh, you know just general like Scandinavian American or um, what have you, is it's really really strong here. It is. Yeah, we're yeah. so fortunate. Um, to have those knowledges and resources and teachers here. And, you know, we also just live in such um, a culturally and intellectually vibrant place in other ways. And, you know, with just this incredible history of, um, you know, black public intellectuals who share teachings, uh, not only in their own cultural communities, but for the whole community, you know, were one of the birthplaces, uh, you know, living near one of the birthplaces of the American Indian movement. I mean, it's, yeah, I think all of that leads us and shapes our understanding of culture, you know, and what it means to reconnect to culture. Ah, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else that you would like to just share about the Prim Stav that we haven't covered? I think that we've had a pretty expansive and winding conversation, yeah. but just yeah. in case there's something we missed. You know, I um, first of all just want to express my gratitude to you, Siri, for inviting me on to have this wonderful conversation with you. Um, and then I want to invite people um, who are interested in learning more about Primstav to, uh, you know, uh, consider um, joining our Primstav study circle on Facebook. Uh, Primstav, a year of learning and reflection, I think we call it. Um, I can put links in the show notes. That would be great. And I hope we can also put the link for Healing Roots. Uh, In case people want to join us uh, for some of our Healing Roots learning community discussions. Yeah, um, from what I understand, Healing Roots was um, pretty much like a Twin Cities thing and then COVID happened. And so there have been people joining from everywhere, right? Yes, it's really been wonderful. We've been doing our learning community meetings on Zoom. And so we routinely now get uh, uh, people participating from across the U.S., which is really exciting. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Siri. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathens Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird.